Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Everything the Bank of Canada does these days gets a lot of attention, and that is because of all the economic uncertainty out there. So they raise rates like they did yesterday, and of course, there's all sorts of discussion about that. They don't raise rates, there's all sorts of discussion about that. And more and more, it's almost become a bit of a political football. And you've heard different parties weighing in with their thoughts on you know the Bank of Canada, the role, what they would do if they were kind of in power. We heard it this week as well when NDP leader Jagmeet Singh said on Tuesday that the Bank of Canada must remain independent, but said the bank's policymakers should also look to minimize job losses in a possible recession. Okay, so does the Bank of Canada take direction from politicians? Does the Bank of Canada worry about what politicians are saying at this point? Joining us now to talk more about this is Nelson Wiseman, who's a professor emeritus of political science at the University of Toronto. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Sumi. Is this something that we have seen before, Nelson? Is it common for the Bank of Canada to become like a discussion, like a political talking point? Uh, well, actually, 60 years ago, it was a major talking point. It was that there was a major crisis between the bank and the old conservative Diefenbaker government, which I believe ended up firing uh, James Coyne, uh, who was the governor of the Bank of Canada. But the relationship between the, you know, that's a very long time ago. And the relationship between the Bank of Canada and the government has changed dramatically. In fact, it's changed dramatically uh, around the world. And we live in a very different kind of world now. It's much more globalized. And there's much more interconnection among uh, the global financial system. So, uh, so when you ask the question, yes, uh, the bank has been involved in political controversy in the past. And let's remember, the Bank of Canada is less than 100 years old. It was only formed in 1935. But its mandate has changed. Another time there was some conversation about the bank was when rates were very high. I think that was at the turn of the sort of late 80s, early 90s, mm-hmm. when we had remarkably high rates. You know, at one point, I, I remember you could get 22% on a GIC. I saw that once at a, at a company in downtown Toronto. Well, that led to a lot of conversation, but the Bank of Canada stuck with its line, and uh, there was no um, direction from the government, which is the case right now. So I wouldn't want to exaggerate, you know, uh, about... Uh, this is what I find interesting. The, the story, the reason this story is getting attention is because, as you correctly pointed out, politicians have started talking about it. We had mm-hmm. Pierre Polyev talking about firing the governor of the Bank of Canada. And now we have Jagmeet Singh, although, as you said, he says, no, no, the bank should remain independent. He's just giving them gratuitous advice, saying, you know, maybe you should hold up on it, on. Uh, on increasing interest rates and see how the rates you've increased to date, which is which has been quite dramatic, play out. Uh, but uh, you know the Bank of Canada is going to stick with its mandate and it's independent, and I think it's going to continue uh, to operate that way. 
Right. What about other countries, Nelson? Is this is this similar to what happens in other, say, G7 countries? Yes, it's very similar. Where Canada is somewhat different is Canada seemed to be a leader, to be the leader in starting to raise interest rates as dramatically. It may and it might continue to be a leader in the sense that it's now cut back from going uh, 75 basis points. That's three quarters of a percentage point increase in the last uh, round to just. Uh, half a percent or 50 basis points yesterday, uh, now the um, Federal Reserve, which is in effect the central bank in the United States, is going to come down with a decision in early November. And I wouldn't be surprised if they also increase uh, their overnight lending rate there by only half a percentage point as opposed to three quarters. We'll see. And if they do, it'll again indicate, you know, Canada's been leading here. And let's remember, um, what's very different between now and what you had, let's say, 60 years ago, when James Coyne, the governor, was in a fight with uh, the Diefenbaker government, is that, uh, you know, markets are so globally interconnected now. So if you've got a, a, a financial meltdown in one country, it spreads to other countries. In the 90s, it happened in Thailand. And and then years later in Mexico, nothing like that, um, nothing happening in Thailand, I assure you, in the 1950s or 60s would have affected any, anything else right. in the rest of the world. I, you wonder, though, like, obviously, when times are tough, we require kind of more guidance from a bank like the Bank of Canada. Then, like, look at what is happening in the UK. Is that a similar relationship? Because there's all sorts of questions about what's happening there. Well, yes. I mean, the danger was that all of us, if the if financial markets stop trusting what the government is doing, what happened in the UK wasn't set off by the Bank of England. It was set off by uh, political decisions, which was to cut taxes at a time uh, when when the government was not only heavily in debt, but was uh, calling for. Uh, Uh, tax cuts, especially for the rich. So politically, that didn't work very well. And spending huge gobs of money and not explaining where is that money going to come from. There was just this assumption, oh, the economy will keep growing. Then they had a problem that their pension funds uh, couldn't be sustained. So then the Bank of England intervened, and it brought down uh, the, uh, uh, the government in England. And and I and it's interesting. You mentioned political pressure here. You notice since Polyev has been elected leader of the Conservative Party, he hasn't once mentioned getting rid of the governor of the Bank of Canada. If he did that, uh, you would see the Canadian dollar drop by another nickel overnight. Wow. Okay. And that would that's a big deal. So there's clearly a big role here. Do you think politicians in this country, though, Nelson, have they learned their lesson? Or do you feel like it's kind of creeping up here where this might be an issue coming up? Well, it's certainly an issue in the media. I mean, people have a vested interest in what interest rates are. Look at the mortgages that are coming due. Look at the uh, interest they're paying on their credit cards. Uh, But every situation, uh, even when interest rates are going up or down, is unique. And what's very different this time is we have an incredibly tight labor market. I've never seen so many places openly posting signs now hiring. And so 
this and and that usually doesn't happen when you've got a rapid increase in interest rates because businesses don't have the money to keep reinvesting and, and and because they'd have to pay such high interest yet here we are the labor market is very very tight where Jagmeet Singh is spot on is that uh wages aren't haven't been going up in the past year at the same rate as prices yes Maybe they've gone up four or five percent, but when you've got yeah. inflation running at seven, eight percent, or or eleven percent for food, uh, you know those don't square. We don't have signs yet that we're uh, moving into an era of much higher unemployment. And there are all kinds of factors for this, including uh, more baby boomers that are now retiring. So um, that. Uh, is having an effect of more uh, vacancies there, mm-hmm. and uh, you don't have enough labor. Immigration could could um, uh, is one of the uh, solutions here. You got to bring in more people. Problem is, there's a mismatch between the people we're bringing in and the kinds of jobs that they have to fill. So it could be unemployment will right. rise now. But uh, will somebody who's been, uh, let's say, um, I don't know, working in um, in a tech industry, all of a sudden want to start putting in drywall or yeah. or working as a carpenter? They don't even have those skills. So that is, you've got that trade-off there. That is very, very true. Um, Nelson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Simi.